The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. This is episode number 112. It's been a long journey. That's right. And in the studio with me is my wonderful co-host. Jason Good, here in the studio. Awesome. Right here in the studio. And what's been happening at Narcan on this week, Jason? It's been busy, as always. Um, you know, it's interesting. You'll, we'll get people in, and I call them waves. Mm-hmm. You'll get like, you know, three or four, five, six people in a two-week period or a one-week period. And then you have the groups kind of follow each other through the program. And then they all leave at the same time. And so all of a sudden, it's like, we've got a lot of people. Oh, my God, we're empty. <laughs> so it feels <laughs> like that when you drop about six people because we keep the community fairly small. So you notice when, you know, five or six people are gone. Um and it's been great. Uh, it's been hot and crazy in Florida. Uh, I, I, am, I am in disbelief of how hot it is, but when, when the weather turns, I always go to, or my head goes to all the homeless addicts out there. Like, how are they dealing with the heat? How are they dealing with their addictions, not having shelter, not having a place to go, dealing with their addiction and feeling hopeless? Yeah. Because it's like, almost everywhere I go in every town, it's like you see a homeless population. And I know that a large percentage of them are, are probably homeless due in part to an addiction. Right. That's either been left unhandled or not dealt with. Um, and my mind goes to this always in the winter time, especially, you know, in colder climates. It's like, what are they doing out there? And so this is where, you know, my heart goes out to them because I'm the type of person who wants to help everybody. Right. And so it's like, ugh. so hopefully, Everyone gets the help that they need. I know that we're trying to get as many people into Narcanon as possible to get the results the uh, person we're going to interview had. That's right. We're interviewing a Narcanon graduate today, and his name is Chris. Is there anything you want to tell us about Chris before I get him on the line? Uh, He's a great guy. I mean, I'll start off with that. He's a really, really good guy. And when he came into the program, you know, he and I connected a lot and you know we would talk and i would you know keep pushing him through and telling him it's gonna be okay it's gonna work out just get sober stay sober and he had pretty much all odds against him okay for when he left um he had a pretty heavy thing uh, you know heavy scene going on and through all that i mean he's three years clean and doing great and i want him to tell a story awesome okay i'm gonna get him on the line so chris Thank you for being on the podcast hey. today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So the way we typically start this, because this I think is um, what really rings true for a lot of our listeners, is how did your story begin with drugs? How did you get started on drugs? Um, my story began, I guess, basically is like your typical suburb kid um i experienced with smoking weed for a while through middle school um i i had a babysitter that was older than me that introduced me to weed for the first time at 11 unfortunately i tried it and i liked it and it was off to the races um then you know then came freshman year of high school Freshman year of high school, I had uh, met an older crowd of people just because I felt like I always fit in with the older group of people because the younger people were just like, I don't know, they just weren't doing what I wanted to do. So I got in with the wrong crowd that I felt was the right crowd, and I got introduced into pain pills. 
Um, I had known about them, you know, playing sports and stuff and hadn't bro- having broken bones and stuff like that. But I didn't know that there was a street value. I also didn't know that if you took enough of it, you didn't get home. You did what? I'm and sorry. If, if you took enough of them, you did what? I lost that. You did. You didn't. I didn't know that you could get high. Ah. So, so then I discovered a whole new realm of life. Because when you're a drug addict, in our minds, the world is not the same as it is to people that are not addicted to drugs. Right. It's. You can't explain it. I've tried to explain it to my family. I've tried to explain it to my wife. I've tried to explain it to so many people that just don't understand. And, you know, I just, I, I got, I got real bad off. Um, coming out of high school, um, I was supposed to go play football for uh, James Madison University in Virginia. Um, I had a scholarship offered to me my senior year, and then I had played sports year-round my whole life. Once the scholarship was offered to me, I was like, oh, nice. This is going to be kind of like a break. I'm not going to play. I'm not going to wrestle. I'm not going to play baseball. I'm just going to stay in shape. And I had a lot of free time. I had a lot of boredom. I had a lot of extra time to do things that I had no idea what to do with because I had so much time. My grades started to slip and I lost my scholarship. Wow. So when I graduated, I ended up graduating still. Um, I was able to graduate. I just didn't have the GPA to make it to go play football. Um, but once I left high school, um, that was it. I was like real down on myself. I feel like I felt like I had let, let myself down. Um, I come from a single mom who had broken every bone in her back to make sure that she had provided everything that I ever needed to succeed. Um, my father was never in the picture, um, which I'll get to a little bit later into my story. Um, but I just, I, I just was very disappointed and felt like I let everybody down, but I never really voiced it. So I kind of just like went about and did my own thing and I started selling drugs and I started using drugs and I started, um, experiencing with different, different substances. And I always found myself falling back to opiates. Hmm. I was always, um, always falling back to pain pills. Uh, it started with, you know, your basic Vicodin and then it, I started having to take too much of those and then I got having to take more and then I got to the Oxycontin and eventually led to um, a full blown heroin addiction. Um, I tried to keep it a secret as long as possible. Um, I tried to, you know, I, I enrolled in college. I went to college, but I didn't like when I say I went to college, it means like I went, but I didn't go. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I just bullshitted my way through life basically to kind of make my family happy and keep them off my case so that I can continue to do my own thing. Um, and then in 2011, um, three or four days before Thanksgiving, um, I had made a trip to Baltimore, Maryland and came back, uh, and I had overdosed in my mom's basement 
And I was in a coma for 11 days with pulmonary edema, and I had nodded out with a pen cap, like a, a writing pen cap in my mouth that I was chewing on, and it got lodged in my lungs. Oh, my God. Um, I woke up the day before Thanksgiving, um, and by the grace of God, I was released and able to go spend Thanksgiving with my mom at home. Wow. 11 days. Sound, 11 days, right? It sounds crazy. And then it sounds great how I got out on Thanksgiving Day. It sounds amazing. It sounds like an amazing story. But here's where the sick and twisted thing of an addict's mind is. I knew when I woke up that I still had heroin in my house. And the moment that I got home on Thanksgiving Day with my mother, after just putting her through what I put her through, I went downstairs in my bathroom and I got high. Wow. Then um, we'll fast forward a few years. You know, I'm still in full-blown addiction, um, just finding ways to get by. You know, it struck me when Jason was talking about, um, you know, summer versus winter, because there's definitely different behaviors in addicts. Um, I was fortunate enough to never have been homeless. But, you know, in the wintertime, it's a different hustle than it is in the summer. Um, and like I said, we'll fast forward a few years to the fall of 2012, or excuse me, 2013. Um, I had got in with a very uh, well-renowned known crowd of people out in an inner city in Baltimore that were running a money laundering and money fraud uh, scam. And I was making a pretty good chunk of change. And I got the, um, the feds ran up on me at the local Walmart where I lived and found me with almost $50,000 in cash in my trunk. And they pegged me to 16 fraudulent charges or 16 fraudulent checks. And I came out of that case with five years and a three-time convicted felon with five years of probation. Wow. I cleaned my act up for a couple of months. And, you know, I got my act together, I don't know, maybe 90 days. And I got a job and I met some people at this job and there it went again. You know, this is when this whole uh, K2 epidemic was happening because they were really cracking down on people smoking weed. So everybody was smoking a K2. So I met a guy at work. I started smoking K2 and one thing led to the next. He was like, Hey, I got some Dilaudid. I was like, Oh, nice. Let me get one. I know I can get that out of my system in two days. And we all know how that goes. One leads to two, two leads to 10, 10 leads to being locked up. Wow. And that's, and that's what happened. And literally after doing 19 months, I turned around and got violated and had to go back to prison for another 13 and a half months. Then, um, then I got out and <clears throat> I met my wife when I got a, out of prison my second time. Um, not long after her and I had met, um, I had had another overdose and I had put her through the same, almost same traumatic experience that I had put my mother through, except, um, I, I, I ended up fortunately not being in a coma. Um, <clears throat> but you know, that, 
that kind of damaged a very uh, new budded relationship and kind of tainted something that was supposed to turn out beautiful. And it eventually did. Um, I'll get to all that. Um, but I had um, started using again, kind of like, like what I call, excuse me, closet using. Like I would use a couple days and then I'd be, get a little paranoid that somebody was going to catch me and I kind of put it down for a little bit, but it would always be in the back of my head. Like, Oh, okay. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do that later on. Um, mind you this whole time, I'm still on probation. I'm on felony federal probation. Um, and I didn't care. I just didn't care. I had no, I had no cares to give about anything. I had been locked up for so long that I just wanted to be free. And yeah. I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. And that's kind of just the whole mentality that I had from middle school until um, I came to Narcanon. Wow. Um, so after um, after I had overdosed on Tony, um, I had continued to use again. And I had wrecked my car. And I had caught another charge. I had caught a possession charge. Um, I nodded out behind the wheel. Hit, the, uh, hit a tree head on at like 15 miles an hour. I mean, yes, it's very dangerous, but thank God I was going very slow. Seriously. Um, but they found they found a bunch of heroin in my, not a bunch, but they found heroin in my vehicle and they charged me. Um, I was able to beat that in court and um, I had to do some more time. Then they gave me another three years on the, on the charge that they gave me. So now I'm a four-time convicted <clears throat> convicted felon, <clears throat> and um, I just don't I just don't believe it. Like I'm believing I'm believing it because I'm telling the story, but I don't believe it because of where I'm at now. Right. So for all the people that are out there listening, when you listen to my story and I tell you that if anybody out there can do it. I can if I can do it. I'm telling you, anybody can, man. Right. I've I've done some I've done some pretty crazy things. So we'll get back to I get out again. I get out in August of uh, August, right before I was supposed to come to Narconon. I get sentenced to Narconon. That was part of my stipulations um, of only serving seven months instead of seventeen months was that I go to a long-term treatment facility. Okay. So I get to Narconon, or I, I get out of jail, excuse me, um, and this is in August. So I don't get to Narconon until April. So from August, no, until January, excuse me. So from August until January, I got high again. And I fell out in my mom's bathroom. Again, this is the third time. The third time I had overdosed. Wow. In probably three or four years. The police came and they found two and a half ounces of weed in my basement. And this was like, this was crazy. Because I get to Narconon and I'm telling them, like, they're bringing these charges up on me. And I just, I just was in, like, 
I was in a complete state of desperation and I knew because I had so much going on in my life and that I was hurting so many people around me and in the back of my mind that I had so many goals and I knew deep down who I was that I had to do something Mm -hmm. and it's against my probation and parole stipulations to leave the state of Virginia without permission. And I told, and, and I, and I made the decision because I felt again, that this was a life or death situation or life or death decision that I needed to make. Right. I called my lawyer. I told my lawyer what I was doing. He said that he would 100% back me up. I called my mom. I told her it was time to go. She got on the phone with, uh, with the center and let them know that she was buying a plane ticket and I'd be on my way and I'd be there the next day. I packed my bags and once I zipped that suitcase shut, I had no idea that my life was about to change forever. Wow. I got the Narconon. There was a lot of turmoil between my fiance and I at the time. We worked, she was my fiance. Um, you know, we didn't, I didn't know if the relationship was going to last. Um, the first person I had met was Kylie, who was a very nice young lady. She made me feel like I wasn't going to be taken to some strange place where I was going to be <laughs> experimented on and some crazy <laughs> this and that, because I'd been to many rehabs. This was my, this was my seventh rehab that I'd been to. I tried the AA and a rehabs. I tried the men's programs. I tried it. You name it, the state funded everything. Wow. Um, so when my mom had found this program and saw that it was something completely different than what I had experienced before, um, sort of that I was willing to try anything because I needed to save my life. Right. Because everybody else around me was trying to save my life except myself. And I knew it was time to man up and I manned up and saved my life. Just a reminder that you are listening to the addiction podcast, Point of No Return. For further information on the podcast, you can reach out to us on our Facebook page by the same name, or we have a new email the addiction podcast at yahoo.com. Feel free to email us with comments or if you have a story you'd like to tell on the podcast. For further information on Narcan on Suncoast, call 1-877-339-3324. That's 1-877-339-3324. Do you have a loved one struggling with drug addiction and you've tried everything to help them and failed? We recently discovered that Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-866-989-4499 today and say podcast to get a 10% discount. That's 1-866-989-4499. Oh, and this service also comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. Do it today. I got to the center and the first person I met was Jason. And... (laughs) Jason, let me tell you something. For the people that don't know Jason, 
Jason is a character. <laughs> and I don't say that. And I don't, I do say it with sarcasm and I don't say it with sarcasm because Jason is the kind of guy that would give you the shirt off of his butt, but Jason is the kind of guy that would clown on you if you were doing something stupid. <laughs> he's the kind of guy that you need, he's the kind of guy that you need in your life. He's infectious. And I knew once that he started doing my intake and he had kind of heard the logist of what was going on previous to me getting there, I knew that I was going to be able to talk to him the best. And out of all the counseling in my life, out of all the rehabs I've been to, out of all the people I'd spoken with that were trying to help me, I felt that when I met Jason and when I met the few people walking through the door at Narconon, I felt like these people, like, they just, like, kind of, like, got it. Mm. I felt like everybody else was just bullshitting me, you know what I mean? They yep. were just doing it for the check. When you get to Narconon, it's just like you pull in the gates and it's just like a sense of genuineness. And it's almost like an instant relief. Like, I don't know what type of energy to describe it as, but it's just, it, you know that it's very wholesome there. Right. And this center saved my life. It saved my family's life. Wow. I got there. I mean, I I got there. I wasn't withdrawing. So when I went through withdrawal, I kind of just took the time to personally reflect on how I was going to go about the program. You know, I'm very, um, I don't want to say stubborn, but I definitely have stubborn tendencies. It's kind of like if I don't agree with something, um, I don't agree with it. So it was very hard for me to open up to some things that didn't really make sense to me because my whole life I wasn't used to looking outside of the box because I was always trapped inside of that box of addiction of that vicious cycle of waking up, getting high and, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. Right. <laughs> so once I got out of withdrawal and I kind of got into the community and got a feel for everything. I knew that there was something different about every than any other place I've been to being here. And most of the time I had found myself at other treatment facilities, just trying to like conversate and socialize with the other patients that were there or other residents that were at the places that I was at. But when I was here, I was trying to understand the staff i was trying to understand the senior students i was trying to understand how it worked for them because i wanted to take little bits and pieces of information that i got from them and i wanted to apply it to the way that i'm wired okay and when i got to the sauna program i felt like my body and my mind was just completely restored Wow. I still to this day I talk about it anonymous anonymously. I don't I don't like talk about the facility, but I'll talk about like something like randomly health wise with somebody that I did and I'll I'll tell them about this honor program. I'll tell them exactly what I did and how amazing it made me feel. Wow. And when I got out of the sauna when I got out of sauna, it it made me be able to go to the next step with an open mind. Because when you're there, you get people talking, and it's like, oh, this is, oh, I got, why got me doing this and touching this and saying this and blah, blah, blah. But you got to open your mind and think deeper than that because it's learning to control those 
urges and triggers. It's learning to control behaviors that get people into trouble. And when I, when I um, got through objectives and then got over to um, this, the next portion, and I can't believe I'm drawing a blank. Life skills. <laughs> life skills. I wanted to call it something else. When I got the life skills, man, um, it brought the little girl out in me a couple times. <laughs> it definitely made me, it definitely made me cry about myself a couple of times, man, because I didn't realize, I always went through life thinking that everything else was the problem. And I didn't really realize that, you know, when, when, when push comes to shove, man, I, I was the problem or so I thought. Then I got a little deeper into it with Patrick, who is by far one of the best guys to help you through that course. I mean, you couldn't put anybody better in there to help you get through that. I mean, he was kind of like, dude, you're full of shit. That's not what it is. <laughs> Figure it out. He really made me like think deep to um, come to the conclusion that the my problem was I felt like I was an outcast because I didn't have a father in my life. And I kind of had to like go on about it on my own. Wow. And that's that's where that's where my problem started. And I had no idea that my problem started before I was even born. Because my mom and dad split up six weeks before I entered this world. And um, I had been an addict. I had been I had been a severe heroin addict for close to ten years before I got there. And from the day I walked through those doors until this very second that I'm sitting on my couch having this podcast with you guys right now, I have remained sober. I have remained strong. I got married. I have a son who is one and a half years old and is healthy. Wow. Two and a half months ago, my wife and I just bought our very first house and I'm getting ready to buy into a partnership and I'm getting ready to buy 10% of the business that I work for. Wow. And so how long are you clean now? So that goes to, I've been clean for uh, three years, a little over three years. Wow. And, you know, it just comes to, to show like, you know, the only excuse in life is you. <laughs> Good point. And I was my biggest excuse, man. I was my biggest excuse. If you want it, you'll get it because that's how humans are. Yep. Because we did it for drugs. So if you really want to change your life, you'll do it. You'll know there's a time, there's a place for everybody. And unfortunately, there's not because some of us don't get that. I've had a lot of people die around me. I still have people dying around me. And it just it just hurts my heart that I couldn't share the experience that I was privileged to have. And help guide them to the right way. I mean, it's just a constant reminder in the world that we live that, you know, you got to keep your loved ones close and you can only take it one day at a time, man, because that's all you got. Right. Well, you know, the fact that you share your story with us today, um, I think at last count, we've got in excess of 90,000 downloads. So 
hopefully there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are going to listen to your story and get your message. And I, I believe that when we do this, we are saving lives Mm -hmm. and that, and that, and so your story that you, you tell us today is going to save lives. They may not be the ones that are, that you can see that are close to you, but I, I fully believe that that's what we do with this podcast and with sharing stories such as yours. Well, all that matters to me is that one of those 90,000 people listening gets a piece of what I've said and maybe it might not change their life, but it'll help them later on. Right. Because like I said, there comes a time and a place for everyone when you know it's time to clean your act up and you're your only excuse. Like I've, I've been everywhere. I've been to prison. I've been to rehabs. I've been in situations that people only see in movies. And this is not like, this is not no run in the mill. Like, Hey, I'm just saying this to be cool. Like (laughs) I don't like speaking this way, but my credentials are very, um, very detrimental to my success, but I don't let that stop me. Right. So everybody out there just needs to find what makes them happy and find what doesn't make them happy, separate the two and keep moving forward because happiness is out there. Yep. It's out there. Exactly. Chris, I have to just ask you one question because I am a mom. What was it like when you talked to your mom, when you were on the program and she realized that you were going to be better? Um, so here's the thing with my family. I've talked the talk for many years. So when I told her how I was doing throughout the program, even out of the program, there was still that sense of disbelief because I'd said it before and I had reached a year before. So to be honest with you, um, now that I am where I am now, I can see a full sense of belief in my mother. There's a full restoration of her happiness in me. She's, um, she's proud to know that all of her hard work and dedication and money that she spent to save my life and help me get to where I'm at went to good use. That's awesome. Well, well done, Chris. And that makes sense. You know, I can, I can see that it, it, it took a little time for it takes time. Get there. Yeah. It's, you know, the thing, the thing with addicts is everybody thinks that it's that instant gratification. Right. Everybody wants that instant gratification. And if you want to get better, you can't get better in time. It didn't take you. You didn't get sick overnight. You didn't get, you didn't become a drug addict overnight. It took you time. It took time for that to happen. So it takes time for you to get better. You just got to be willing to do it. Right. You got to want it. Right. Chris, thank you. And I wanted nothing more. Sorry, I was just going to say thank you so much for sharing your story on the podcast. Yeah, not a problem. You know, every story that we tell on the podcast is the same but different. And every time someone such as yourself shares their story and their journey and their experiences, um, especially at Narcan on Suncoast, 
you know, it makes a difference in people's lives. It just does. We don't know how many actual addicts listen to the podcast. We tend to think it's probably more friends and family of addicts. But, you know, if just one of those friends and family picks up the phone, calls Narcanon, or calls somewhere to get help, um, well, we know that's a good thing. So I can't thank you enough for telling your story. Good job, Chris. Very well thank done. You. Thanks. Well done, you. Um, and I, I also do want to add one more kudos to myself. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Um, the month before I left there, <clears throat> I quit smoking cigarettes, and I still have not smoked a cigarette to the day. Cool. So that's possible as well. Awesome. <laughs> well, well done, and good luck with... Thanks, um, guys. You guys have a good night. Yep, good luck with your family and everything. All right, take it easy, guys, and Bye, I'll talk Chris. to you later. You got it. Okay. Well, that was quite a story. Awesome. It's it's incredible because he beat every odd. Yeah. That was against him. I mean. Three overdoses, four times in jail. I mean. I mean, he shouldn't actually, in some states, after being convicted of your third felony, you're not going to see the light of days. You're going to get a 25 to life sentence. And so he actually got a second chance basically in life to go get clean, move forward. Yep. And this isn't just like, a, oh, I just graduated NARC and all my life is so much better no, no, oh, no. so far. Yeah. It's like, well, I finished the program and I've been clean three years. Three years. This is a very, very long-term sobriety story in That's that right. he left, he went home, he stayed clean, he applied what he learned, and he moved forward. That's right. And he got his life back. And that's what I want. And it's what Narconon and all the rest of the staff want for everyone that comes to their doors is that they go home and they never have to go you know, through this again. They never have to go to treatment again. They never have to deal with heartache and overdose and everything like that. That You handle your addiction and you live a normal life. That's right. And, you know, here's the other point. You can either do Narconon as your first thing. Mm-hmm. Like Josie, I think that was right. her first exactly. rehab, right? Mm-hmm. Or... You can do seven different rehabs if you'd like to and, 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 you know, have them not work like they did for Chris and then finally do Narcanon. So it's kind of like up to you how quickly you want to uh, get yourself clean and sober or get your loved one clean and sober. It's, exactly. it's really kind of up to you. But, yeah. you know, there's a whole, a whole team at Narcanon Suncoast, most of whom have been there mm-hmm. and have experienced it. And I think that, you know, what Chris was saying about you, Jason, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you've been there, you've done it. You're not a clinician speaking no. from some, you know, uh, what's the word, metaphorical idea of what it's like to be an right. addict. You know what it's like. You've been there, you've experienced it. And, you know, the whole team there, they got they want one thing and one thing only. Get your life back. And that's for you to get your life back and become clean and sober. Okay, so um, we've got a couple more interviews scheduled in the upcoming weeks, Mm -hmm. and uh, we're going to be talking to um, I'm going to be talking to a lady next week whose um, son died of an overdose, Mm. and um, she and her husband started a foundation, and they are giving back to kids, and um, she's going to tell his story. 
And then we have another interview scheduled as well. I don't have all the details on that one, but you know, we're just going to keep talking this way because we want you guys out there to to get help and know that there's always help available. Um, I'm going to give you the phone number. You got it at the beginning. You got it. You'll get it in the middle, but I'm going to tell you again, 1-877-339-3324. It is an anonymous call. You do not have to give your name. You do not have to give your, you know, personal information. You can simply call that number, 877-339-3324. Ask any question you want and get the answers that you need. There you go. Jason, we'll talk again. We'll talk again. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.